I don't get where I play as long as I go number one in the draft. Connor McDavid. From the London Knights, Mitch Marner. From the Western Hockey League's Brandon Wheat Kings, Nolan Patrick. This is Tracking the Draft with Craig Button. He checks an enormous amount of boxes. Nobody in this draft did more with less. I absolutely love him. It's not his skills that anybody's concerned about, it's that playing attitude. Quite frankly, it's really poor. Speeding towards the future of the NHL. From the U.S. Development Program, Jacob Truba. From Faryastad of the Swedish Elite League, Jonas Brodin. From the Boston U Terriers, Brady Kachuk. He could play in the NHL next year. He's one of those guys. Here's your host, Dean Millard. Hello there and welcome to Tracking the Draft with Craig Button, the Director of Scouting for TSN. We'll be along very shortly and this show is where the stars of tomorrow are discovered. We're going to take a look back at the World Junior Tournament, a strange one for sure for a lot of different reasons, but a very successful, entertaining one and congratulations, full marks to that American team. I mean, they stymied. Uh, what was uh, just an incredible Canadian team that had not trailed until that gold medal came. So congratulations to the Americans, congratulations to the Canadians, congratulations to everybody who took part in that tournament uh, from a player, broadcaster, or support. It was just unbelievable. So we're going to look at uh, the tournament and some individual players uh, from there as well, and then we'll take a look ahead to the 2021 draft. Simon Robertson, uh, Jimmy Suomi, and Logan Stankoven are the three players we'll take a mini profile view of. And uh, as we get closer, and you know, hopefully some sort of second half, uh, well, I guess what would normally be the second half of uh, the season. Hopefully, we get some junior and some college hockey that we can talk specifically more about. Uh, Scouting in the 2021 draft. Craig joins us courtesy of the UFFS hotline. It stands for Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. We already have uh, the NHL going. We've launched the AHL. All teams have been sold. It's amazing. Check it out. www.uffsports.com. Get in the game where you own the game with the UFH. L. All right, let's bring in the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Craig Button of TSN right now. Here he is, the director of scouting for TSN, former GM of the Calgary Flames, and a Stanley Cup champion with the Dallas Stars. He's a sharp-dressed man with a heart of gold and a passion to match it. Craig Button. Uh, 
All right, Craig, it is great to chat with you. Uh, I hope you had a a wonderful Christmas and an awesome new year in that bubble that you were in. You guys certainly did an amazing job. Uh, so congratulations to you um, for the for the on-air job that you did and, and the crew behind the scenes and everybody that made that World Junior. I, I don't know if I've ever watched from an outside a more bizarre situation, and, and you lived it. So a lot of hard work went into what we watched over that uh, holiday season, didn't it? Oh, yeah, no question. And, you know, the team uh, uh, that Paul Graham, uh, the senior vice president of at, at TSM, puts together is, is not just an immensely talented uh, group of people. It, it's, a, it's a fantastic group of people. And, you know, giving up their holidays each and every year to go and, uh, you know, be part of the World Junior presentation. And it's the same people every year. It's, you know, we, we renew acquaintances and everybody – when I say that everybody is terrific, uh, they are, and they're fantastically talented at their jobs. But you know, one one of the things we we have to make sure is is that all of the people that collaborated to help make sure that this event uh, could proceed, uh, you know, from uh, all the people uh, at Alberta Health uh, that guided the protocols for Hockey Canada and the IAHF and and all the hockey federations. And, and all the dedicated people that were part of the testing and the hotels with, uh, you know, the, the food delivery and the drivers that got everybody, you know, from their hotel over to the rink and back and, and all, every single person uh, was, was instrumental in this tournament, not only starting, but going through it very smoothly and ending up at the end of it uh, uh, with, uh, with a satisfaction that it was exceptionally successful. Indeed. And uh, as for that final game, uh, I can look out my front door of my condo building and basically wave at Jake Sanderson's grandparents. Uh, that's how close I am to them. So I know they were cheering really hard on that night. And, you know, we as Canadians, we always want Team Canada to win, but full marks to that American team. They just did a dominant job of keeping Canada to the outside. And then just uh, they capitalized on a couple of situations in front, and that's the ball game. Full marks to that American team. Well, absolutely. And, you, you know, when you get into a gold medal match, you, you have to find a way to not only as a, as, a, as a group to perform at your very best or close to your very best, each and every player has to find that level. And certainly uh, uh, USA did exactly that. Uh, you know, you get, to the, you get to a gold medal match, there's, there's no guarantees. And despite uh, how well Team Canada had played and, and they had played incredibly well. And, and in fact, uh, it was going to take the type of effort and the type of game that the USA uh, played in the gold medal match to beat Team Canada. But it was a game uh, that they did play and uh, a game that earned them the gold medal. And it's just always a reminder, uh, Dean, that the, the World Junior Hockey Championship is, is uh, a, a great contest between uh, you know, great individual players, emerging individual players, and teams that find their way over the course of the tournament. And, uh, you know, going into that game, you know, Team Canada had an opportunity by winning that game to, to be in the discussion for best team ever in World Junior Hockey Championship history. You know, uh, 41 goals, four, four against heading into that game and, and dominant throughout. I mean, never even, never threatened, never, uh, you know, in, in, in a position where you could say, 
oh, they look a little vulnerable or they, they, they better be tested here uh, and you better try to exploit that. And, you know, the U.S. got two real timely goals. Obviously, they're timely when you win 2 nothing, And at the end of it, uh, you know, they locked it down. And they, well, when I say locked it down, they did, a, they did a great job of, as you point out, keeping Canada to the outside. But, you know, it's the, it's the beauty of competition. It's the beauty of tournament play. And, you know, I, I said to a couple of the U.S. players uh, uh, prior to the gold medal game, and it was a few days prior, you know, they're, they're in the bubble watching it, and they're watching TSN, so they're, <laughs> they're, getting, uh, they're getting our take. And I, I really did. I thought this Canadian team was, was one of the best I'd ever seen. And, you know, they certainly have proven that. And, you know, guys that I know, and they were giving me a little bit of a hard time, oh, you don't think we can win? And I said, no, no, I, I think you can win. It's not about do I think you can win. I, I know how the tournament goes. And, but there was 11 players on the U.S. team that won the gold medal. That were that made up the 2001 entity, the U18 group, uh, that went to the Under 18 Championships in Sweden in April 2019, and lost in the semifinal to Russia in a shootout. Uh, they ultimately won the bronze medal, but that was a team. And I reminded the players that your team was one I never thought could lose either. Mm. So, and you know, because I had not seen a better national team development uh, under 18 team and all my, and I've seen everyone from day one. And so I, I reminded them too, that like, you know, you lost. So I'm not, I, I'm not saying that I, that, that, that Canada now uh, isn't the favorite, but I'm certainly not saying that they're guaranteed the victory. It's, you know, they, because, because the players I was talking to had gone through that experience, <laughs> They understood now that, like, you know, you look at it, but again, no guarantees. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, as for individual... And good for those kids, too. Those That 2001 group team, like, you know, Alex Turcotte and Cole, Cole Caulfield and mm. Trevor Zegris and Matthew Boldy, I could go through them all. You know, uh, Cam York and Drew Hellison and Spencer Knight. Uh, Bobby Brink was on that team. He wasn't playing with the, but he came over for that tournament. Matt Beneers, who's going to be a high draft pick. Uh, you know, he, he, he came over, Patrick Moynihan, those were the players that were part of that team. <laughs> and it was, and it had Jack Hughes and, you know, I honestly, I, I never thought they could lose and they did. So, you know, for them to come back and, you know, finish their junior careers, uh, with such a, with such a nice victory and, and one where they got better over the course of the tournament. I know that that's extremely satisfying to them as well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, let's talk about some individual players. Um, Cousins and Zgres obviously get a lot of attention for the points that they put up. Who do you think was the best individual player in this tournament for your money? Trevor Zgres was the best individual player. I, I, I think by the end of it, there was no question uh, that he was uh, the, the, dom, the, the, the number one player. He won the MVP and he was... he. he Deservedly so. And his performance in the gold medal game, I, I don't think pushed him there. I think it cemented him there. And, uh, you know, Dylan Cousins was, was terrific throughout the tournament. Uh, I, I, I said this at different points uh, watching him play. I don't think there was a player more important to his team than Tim Stutzla mm-hmm. of Germany. And, you know, Dylan Cousins, Tim Stutzla, and Trevor Zegers made up the all-star team. Uh, at, at, at the world at the world junior tournament, uh, and to me, Germany, everything they went through, and JJ Paterka was really good, but uh, Stutzla to me was the most important player to his team, 
And, you know, that doesn't mean you're the MVP. That doesn't mean uh, the Trevor Zegers' domination should be uh, uh, not recognized or understated or or anything like that. Just that Tim Stutzler was was that good for an undermanned Germany team. And, you know, they they got to the quarterfinal for the first time ever, and uh, his brilliance was on display. So, you know, the, the distinction between... You know, who was the best player? To me, it was Trevor Zegris, uh, start to finish, and Tim Stutzel was the most important player of his team. Yeah, that uh, that the German team, uh, for them to uh, do what they did undermanned was such a great story. And and it's always a great story when uh, yeah, a player maybe surprises you and, and maybe goes above and beyond what your expectations are. Was there a player that uh, maybe outplayed his expectations going into this tournament that raised his game? Well, yeah, here's what I would say to you on that team, and, and and I think it's a it's a good reminder that when you're scouting, that it's never a static exercise. It never is. Mm-hmm. So if if you're gonna go into a tournament or watch a player, and and y- y- your expectations have to be realistic. You know what are your expectations? So if 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 you have uh, elevated expectations that are uh, to to a degree not realistic, well. You know, is is that does that mean that the player didn't uh, meet those expectations, or did you, or, or were you unrealistic in your expectations? So, when I say that, when I go and look at this tournament, I look at it and I say, I really love to watch the eighteen-year-old players playing in the tournament because it's their it's their first elevation to a higher level than anything they've ever played. They've never played at this high of a level ever, and. You know, now you're being tested in, in, in a best-on-best tournament against the best players in your age group. And so I'm always interested to see how an 18-year-old player does at, at, at any stage. You think, about, you think about last year and you think about uh, a young goaltender in Spencer Knight. Now, the USA got lost in the uh, quarterfinal match to Finland, but Spencer Knight comes back this year, the first game against Russia, you know, wasn't a very wasn't a very good performance by him. I've watched Spencer Knight for years, mm-hmm. and the one thing I know about Spencer, okay, he, he has a game like that, you know, but I've seen him time and time again put together fifteen excellent games, and he didn't lose after that. And so I, I try to look at the eighteen year olds and try to assess where they're at, what they've learned, how they're adapting. So if we look at the eighteen year old group, Topi Nimala, the defenseman for uh, Finland, who was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. I was really, really, like for him to take that step and be able to do what he did, uh, I, I think that's significant. And if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs, you should be really, really encouraged by that development and whatnot. Now, you, you can flip to the other side and look at Yaroslav Askarov, and maybe after last year and you say, Oh, like, you know, he, he, he looked a little bit unsettled. Like, you know, I use the term at one point, he looked messy in the net, mm. you know. And so, but is, like, is that developmental? There was times when Yaroslav looked so good and so strong and so balanced. And other times he looked like almost completely the opposite. Well, Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't much different at a young age. <laughs> And there's a lot of things in Yaroslav's game that, uh, you know, have to be uh, worked on. And and he will work on them. I I don't know if you know this, Dean. I don't know how many people know this. But 
Nikolai Habibulin, the goaltending coach for Russia, had to leave the tournament early in, early in the early in the schedule because mm. his father sadly passed away. So so now you have some now you have Nikolai who's so important to Yaroslav and the goaltending. Well, now they don't have that, and 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 so you know that that impacts you. You know, one of the things that I love about Jason LaBarbera is that not only does he go and work with the goaltenders in practice and help them prepare and know what they do, but he's he's ex- he's exceptional at getting the goaltenders corrected in in game. You know, hey, you're just off by a little bit. Just settle down. Don't do that. Don't handle the puck here. Understand what they're doing to get the player, to get the goaltenders reset. Yaroslav Askarov lost that. And Nikolai Habibulin would provide very similar things to him. So, you know, so people, we can all look at Yaroslav and say, oh boy, you know, what happened there? Oh boy, he didn't play as well. That's okay. I look at Alex Turcotte. He came back from last year. He, he's a competitor. He tries like mad. He's always going to compete, but he didn't get the results. I watch him a year later, and you see a player that's like, hey, I know what I can do, and I'm comfortable mm-hmm. doing it, and I am going to do it. And he was really good. And then I'm going to finish with Quentin Byfield. And the reason I finish with Quentin is he, he, he's a really talented player, and he's a really dedicated uh, competitor that wants to be the best he can be at every time. In the off season, and I consider the off season now last March when the OHL and the junior leagues got canceled, to him playing his first game on December 23rd. I mean, he had some scrimmage games, and you know they can serve uh, as a test. But his real first significant game came on December 23rd against Russia. And as I'm watching him over the course of the tournament, I see the same things in Quinton that I've always seen: uh, a really competitive, determined competitor. But what I also see is this player that is, he, he's big, he's trying to put all these different elements of his game together. And it's going to take him longer than, than maybe another player. But, but is that wrong? Is, is there something wrong with that? I mean, everything, he's put on weight. He, he, he's trying to handle that weight. He's trying to get stronger. At the same time, his body is all trying to mature and, and everything that goes with it. Just because you're the second overall pick doesn't mean you just snap your fingers and you say, okay, young man, go out there and dominate. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not every single player is at a different stage of maturity, physically, mentally, emotionally. I I know that Quinton is is a talented player. I know that Quinton is a committed player, but you have to be patient with the maturation process. And I call it the natural laws of maturity, physical, mental, and emotional. You can't speed them up. So, you know, we had a dominant game against Switzerland and, you know, always in the mix competing and trying to do some things like he's not ready for the NHL to contribute. And, and I think that not only do, do the L.A. Kings have to be patient with him, not only do fans and people that that, that are looking at Quinton and saying, oh, what happened here? Nothing happened. They have to be patient with it. And Quinton has to be patient with it and encouraged at the same time. Hey, young man, you're really good. We're not going to rush you along. Here's where you're at. We know you're the second overall pick, but we want to get you to the NHL when you're ready to contribute and when you're, you know, when all these elements have come together. And that's how, so that's how I assess, you know, expectations and access players. I, I, I gave some specifics, some general and named some players, but to me, the expectations have to be done 
over a time period of where they're at, how they've progressed, you know, you know, what do they still need to do to become what people are projecting them to be, what you think they're capable of being, and then put it all into then put it all into the evaluation. And that's why I say scouting is never static. It can't be. Mm-hmm. Because each successive time you go to watch a player, whether it be two days after you watch them or two weeks or two months, time has elapsed and and what has that player learned and how much has he grown? I, 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 Kirby Doc is a perfect example of that. NHL rookie last year, third overall pick. He didn't have any any real significant impact as a contributor to the Chicago Blackhawks, not at all. Pause happens in March. He now begins what, what you would call the off season between his rookie year and his sophomore season. Normal, right? Four, four, four months before he comes back in August, which is really the beginning of his second season. Mm-hmm. Look at how good Kirby was. Yeah. I mean, Kirby was a, was a player that had, that had matured and just taken all those lessons of that first year and now applied them. Jack Hughes, Capococco only had three games. Jack Hughes never had that opportunity. But, but that's the example that you can look at from an NHL point of view. I think Quinton and, and a lot of players uh, are, are in a similar boat, and you got to look at it over time and not just – and that's why I say scouting is never static. It can't be, and if you want to evaluate on a static basis, you're, you're, going, to, uh, you're going to make assessments that are going to be wrong a lot more often than they're right. Mm-hmm. Well, in a tournament that was surrounded by so much strangeness and the and the bubble, um, two things really stood out to me. One, the amount of left-handed shots on that Russian team, almost all of them, I think. And then also, I thought a massive overreaction by Slava Fedosov saying no Russian player could make the Canadian team. So strange uh, tournament overall, and then a couple of strange things just with surrounding that Russian team, especially the left-handed shots. But they, but if if you go back in time, they've never had a lot of right-handed shots. You know, on the on on the on the on those great Soviet teams, Vladimir Petrov was their only right-shot player. Mm-hmm. This is not this is not unprecedented, and I, I I don't have an answer for it. I, I I really don't have an answer for it. But and I probably should have an answer for it or some rationale for it. But yeah, Igor Spiridonov was the only right shot guy in that team. But I, I've seen lots of uh, Soviet and Russian teams over the year, okay, uh, over the years, and there just isn't that many right shot players. And you know, and, and yet you think about some of the greatest goal scorers in the game in uh, Alexander Ovechkin and Ilya Kovalchuk, right right shot players right. That, that could shoot the puck and everything, but. Burray and McGilney, who were left shot guys, Makarov and uh, and Krutov, left shot players. I mean, what they've been able to do is just develop high end scores. I, I don't know why they don't pick up a right handed stick. As for Slava, you know, you know, Slava's fiercely proud of of the Soviet Russian, let's call it the Russian uh, hockey uh, history and and what they've done and. Obviously, he was a big part of the success of the Soviet teams and Russian teams. And, and, and so he takes tremendous pride in it. I, I would suggest that Slava's comments were born out of disappointment and, and you know, struck with, a, with an emotional uh, uh, bent where, with respect to he wants so badly to, to see his, his country do well. 
and you know when it comes against Canada, you know where some of the some of the great international games have been contested between the two countries. I, I think it might sting a little bit more. So I think he was coming from an emotional place, and you know, but I'll be straightforward with you. I don't think he's far off in saying not very many of the Russian players would have made Team Canada. <laughs> yeah, maybe not many, but there's you know they've they've certainly got some talent, and you're right. It, it's probably oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, it's probably just uh, immediate frustration, and and you can understand that. And you know, this is a guy who yeah. obviously won a lot of uh, titles uh, for that country. By the way, Craig joins us, courtesy of the UFFS Hotline. It is the most realistic fantasy platform out there. You won't find anything better. And scouting is a huge part of it. It's the lifeblood because every free agent or new player goes through a scout. So you can get in the game where you own the game, put your scouting talent to good use. Plus, the AHL is next. Uh, They are launching the UFAHL. Duckman's Domination did purchase an AHL team, so we're looking for an AHL GM to run it. If anybody out there is interested in getting into fantasy at the American Hockey League level and the NHL level, check it out, uffsports.com. Calm and uh, you know soon we'll be able to uh, drop the puck and and look at the roster that we've built and and things like that and actually have gameplay to talk about, Craig. Well, we will, and, and I, I just want to go back to the UFSS uh, program and you know the entity, and I, I I hope that as we go through these evaluations and talk about players that and 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 I touched on it today in a significant way, you know. Scouting is like writing a book. And when I say it's never static, what you're trying to do in scouting is build a a, a dossier, I like to call it on the players. And it's going to take time, just like you have to write chapter one before you write chapter two, and you have to write chapter two before chapter three. It's the same thing in player evaluation. So what I would really emphasize, I just gave some examples that we talked about previously, Dean. So you know, for everybody that's looking uh, to try to, you know, be better at scouting and refine their scouting, it's the same as players. You know what? It's not static. Learn, learn, learn what you do well. Learn, oh, I might have been a little bit off in that. And mm. I'll give a perfect example real quickly of that exact thing. You know, Brock Faber, who was part of the uh, USA gold medal winning team, I watched Brock at, at 16 when he first came into the NTDP. He, and, you know, to watch, actually, I, I first saw him at 15 when he came into the tryout. And he, he, what you noticed is this real dynamic skating defenseman who wanted to jump into the attack and, you know, play offense. And I certainly saw that at 16. And you said, wow, that's pretty good. There, the, as he got into his draft year and his U, uh, the, the U18 year, you know, you're watching him. And, and I didn't give Brock Faber enough credit for where he was developing other parts of his game. And, and, and he did. He, good defending, leverage, quickness in moving the puck out of his own zone, those types of things. Because, you know, I was watching him and, 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 and thinking back to him being a, a dynamic offensive player. And, you know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't rate him or rank him nearly high enough. And I got focused on one area of his game and, you know, maybe not seeing and or, or not recognizing the other parts of his game that he was really developing affected how I assessed him. And quite frankly, uh, like my, my, my assessment was off because 
watching them this year at the University of Minnesota prior to getting to the World Junior Tournament and now getting into the World Junior Tournament, an 18-year-old defenseman, it was very quick for me to recognize, yep, I, uh, I, I, made, uh, I was inaccurate. In some of my uh, in some of my assessments of Brock, and you have to be able to recognize that. You have to be able to say, "Okay, I was right here. I was really right. I was wrong here. I was really wrong." That's all part of growing. And so, when, when I talk about scouting, and you can get better at it every day, just keep in mind it's not static. So yeah. you know, continue to watch. As for the American Hockey League general manager, there's there's a guy you know. And I know that's down in Vegas. Vegas is going to have an American Hockey League team here. Maybe he might be interested in trying to go, uh, I don't know, head to head with his uh, sister-in-law. I mean, we saw Teresa Feaster, the first woman assistant coach, win a gold medal at the World Junior Hockey Championships. I don't like Darren's chances against Trish, but hey, maybe he's up for the challenge. Yeah. I I I might have to see how uh, how that works out and uh, and go with that. Um, all right, let's get into some players for 2021. Uh, the family affair for sure. Um, let's start with uh, Simon Robertson, a right winger uh, that's played in the uh, the, uh, the Junior 20 League and the SHL in Sweden. And sounds like this guy has a terrific shot. What specifically do you like about uh, how he gets the puck towards the net? Well, I mean, he, he, he attacks the net. He, he, he wants to drive the net. And, you know, it's not just with the puck. It's, it's about getting open in, in the areas that will give him a chance to not only get the puck, but to take advantage of those opportunities. And, you know, he's a smart player. He, he, he's, got, he's got really good creativity. Uh, you know, he, he, he's quick when he needs to be quick. He's patient when he needs to be patient. And, and, and I think that he's a really well-rounded player. You know, it's always interesting to meet Dean when you, again, and I just talked to you about Brock Faber. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when I talk about Brock Faber and I say, you know, always oh, he, he, he I, I, I was assessing him too much on one area of his game and then he, he's working on another area of his game, but I'm not recognizing it. I think with Simon, too, he's got a good shot. He's a good playmaker, too. And, you know, you, you see that where something, you know, when when you do your research and you watch a player and you go, oh yeah, good shot, right? But there's a lot to, to Simon's game. And, you know, he, you know, trying to get a taste of the SHL as a 17-year-old, not easy. <laughs> and, you know, you're going to follow along. You're going to kind of go with the program, so to speak. Oh, the coach tells me to be here. I'm not going to take a chance. I'm going to dump the puck in. You might not be as confident in, in your assertiveness in the offensive zone. So it's going to take a little bit of time for Simon to get comfortable at the higher levels. But I, I think he's got all the qualities to be a really good, solid uh, winger in the National Hockey League. And, you know, some of the things, and, and I, I'm always careful, about who I compare players to. Mm-hmm. But it, he, he reminds me at the same stage, the same stage of the game, to Max Pacioretty. Oh, yeah. You know, Max, Max was, was he, he had those elements. He needed some time to grow and just kind of mature into his game. But, but I think Simon has some of those uh, similar qualities that, is, that has allowed uh, Max Pacioretty to be a, a, a real, a, a very good NHL player. 
Well, and, and, you know, uh, when you look at Simon, he already has some, uh, you know, some decent size, as does Max Pacioretty. How does he use that size uh, to his strength and advantage? Well, you, you know, if you watch Max Pacioretty play, I mean, how many times do you see him run over anybody? How many times do you see him, like, you know, he's not, he, being a physical presence, you know, it, it isn't isn't necessary to use your size really well you know uh simon like max you know they, they get into spots where you know you you have to go to, through their body to get to the puck they protect the puck so well mm. and and that's using your size to your advantage how you use your reach how you lean in and you know you know drive somebody one way and keep your hands free to get the the shot off or to make a play you know how you come out of what i call body on body battles out of out of traffic and out of those contested puck battles how, how do you fare coming out do you have leverage coming out of that do you, do you understand as you're battling that there's a play beyond that if you win the puck and i think that simon has those qualities just like max has had those qualities one of the things that i think dean that has happens a lot to uh, players that are a little bit bigger. There's this expectation that they should, oh, look at him, he doesn't use his size. Mm -hmm. I've seen lots of players that use their size really effectively, maybe not in a physical way, but somehow there comes into your head, you gotta run over somebody. And now the player thinks, oh, if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job. And, you know, I've seen Smaller players use their size really well. I've seen bigger players not use their size so well. So what, what I just tried to describe with Max and Simon is, is what's your game and, and how are you going to use your size to gain and hold advantages? Mm -hmm. I think that's how Simon does it, just like Max Pacioretty has done it for a long time in the NHL. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I think is perfect. I mean, how many times does anybody run anybody over in a game anymore? It just, you know, that that kind of like uh thought or you know, past game where there was these massive open ice hits, it doesn't doesn't happen anymore. I when I think size, I think okay, he's a big guy, how well does he protect the puck? I don't I don't worry about him running a guy over. I worry about him, right. you know, winning a battle in front in the corner, protecting the puck and and getting to a, a better position. That's what I think about when I when I think about using size and that's what I think players should If you're if you're a big guy out there looking for all these hits, you're just going to be chasing everybody around the ice all the time. Right. Well, the other thing too, using your size, Dean, and you know, it, it, like if, if you're gonna if you're gonna expose the puck all the time, mm -hmm. let's just say you're six foot four and you're always exposing the puck, it's really easy for defenders to just swipe swipe, swipe that puck off your stick. Mm -hmm. But and that's why I say you know having to go through the body to get to the puck is 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 really strong use. Uh, of your size. Max does it. I think Simon Robertson does it. And, you know, so that's using your size to great effectiveness. With you on that one. All right, let's move on now to uh, Jimmy uh, Suomi, uh, defenseman out of uh, Jokerit and J20. And, and I'm happy because Jimmy Finland is one of the best names out there. He's a member of High Level Scouting, so you and Trish did a really good job on that. And I think it's also pretty remarkable when I was reading about this. He went from the U16 league right to the U20 league in Finland, which is basically skipping over the U18 loop. Um, you know, is is that due to how well he thinks the game from what I've read? Well, it's not just thinking the game. He, he's a dynamic skater. Mm 
and he he he's got he's got great jump in in his skating ability. He's quick. He's agile, and and then the mind takes over because he's so he's so bloody good at being able to uh, recognize how he's going to use that speed and how he's going to use that quickness uh, to his advantage. He 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 really is uh, terrific. Now keep this in mind, Dean. He has got lots of time to, to physically mature. He's not a he's not a big guy right now. He, he you know he's going to need more time rather than less time. But the way he thinks the game, the confidence he plays the games with, his puck skills, his skating ability, his competitiveness. Hey, listen, th- th- this is the type of player I got all the time in the world for. And you know what? If he if he gets to the NHL when he's twenty one or twenty two. I think that he'll arrive there with a real ability to, to make a significant impact because of all those things. And the other thing I love about Jimmy is that, you know, he, he tries to do things and, he, and, and, and they're not reckless things or careless things. But if he if it doesn't go exactly the way he wanted it to or how, or how he had planned it out, it doesn't deter him. And he learns from it. Okay, I I got to deliver that puck a half a second earlier. I got to take three more feet to open up that lane a little bit. To watch a player learn as as they play, and you see it from shift to shift, or from one specific play to another type of play that's similar later in the game, pretty impressive. And I I, I think Jimmy. I mean, he was scheduled to go play with the Chicago Steel in the USHL this year. But, you know, obviously because of the pandemic, you know, that wasn't able to come to fruition. But, you know, Jimmy's game and the way that Ryan Hardy and the USH and the Chicago Steel run their program. Oh, talk about a marriage made in hockey heaven. So when you look at him and, and, and it's great, you know, he has some time um, to, you know, physically mature um, and, and refine his game. When he gets to the NHL level, do you see him as being an offensive guy, a defensive guy somewhere in the middle? Or is that maybe still up in the air as his development continues? Here's what I would say on that, Dean. What I would say is, 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 is I definitely see him as, as, as a player that's capable of doing a lot of different things in the game. How much offense he, he, he'll he be able to do, I wouldn't put a ceiling on it. I, I just wouldn't. Other players at a younger age, you, you might say, oh, okay, maybe I don't see the offense. Let's see what it Don't put a ceiling on this young man's offense because he's got a creative mind, he's got a problem-solving mind, and he's got initiative. And you combine those three things together with his skill, you know, Offense, uh, the ability to produce offense and create those offensive opportunities are, are definitely there. Like h- how it translates and, and, and where it goes. Like you think about Cam Fowler. So Cam Fowler is not what you would call a prolific uh, offensive player in the NHL. He's just a really good defenseman. Skates, plays lots of minutes, moves the puck, gets his offensive points, creates a lot of chances. And, and that's the type of player I would see Jimmy being more like mm-hmm. than, than perhaps uh, a Tory crew. And, 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 you know, what ends up happening is, is we look at a player with a certain stature and we want to compare him to another player of similar stature. And that's, that, that, that's fine. In a lot of cases, it does apply. But for me, with Jimmy, I, I see that kind of completeness of a Cam Fowler, uh, who, who was a terrific offensive player in junior before being drafted. But in the mm-hmm. NHL now, Cam is a is a really strong, in my view, two way defenseman. I think Jimmy can be that. 
And there's no reason a six foot two or six foot three defenseman and a five foot ten defenseman can't play the same style of game. We've talked about that before. That whole modern day defenseman garbage. It's just a defenseman, no matter what size they are, they all come in different sizes and styles. Absolutely. And but but there's requirements that yes. allow you to be a good contributing player. And you know, it was funny, uh, I don't know if you watched Elmer Soderblom for Sweden, the big yeah. six foot six uh, winger. So I've watched Elmer play since he was sixteen years of age. And so the benefit I have is again back to scouting isn't static. I'm watching him now at, at the World Junior Tournament and I'm watching him after having the benefit of watching of, of having seen him for four years time. And I had this question. What do you think uh, that type of player? Don't you think he's more of an old school player? <laughs> and I, I said, what do you mean old school? I'm, I'm not understanding old school. Well, that type of player. I said, what type of player? Well, <laughs> so they were focused in on the size, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, wait a second here. If, if you got good hands and you got a good mind for the game and you're a good competitor and you skate pretty well, who cares if you're six foot six? Who cares? Yeah. I have seen continuous improvement in Elmer Soderblom's game. Continuous. And I watch him now at this World Junior Tournament as a 19-year-old, and I go, he has a real chance to be an NHL player and a productive NHL player. So, like, I, I, I don't, I, for me, I, it's not the way I think. I don't, I don't think about it as six foot six or five foot nine. That the, the six foot six player might be better position to, to play years ago, or a five foot nine player might be better position to play now. I, I just look at, you know, what are the skills a player possesses and will it allow him to play in the National Hockey League? And I definitely see that with Elmer Soderblom. And as you point out with defensemen, I, I'm not fussed. There's a lot of defensemen now. And and, and it's good that the, that the, that the minds uh, of people in the game assessing players has opened up not to just say, oh, he's 5'10", or he's mm. some six-foot defenseman, he can't play. It, because, but just because you're 5'9", or 5'10", and can skate, doesn't mean you're going to play either, <laughs> right? I mean, and so mm. you got to keep this in mind, I, I, I think, when you're scouting and evaluating. What are the skills and attributes necessary to have success? And does he have enough of it? And are they at a, at a requisite level, at a high enough level? And the, depending on how high they are, will determine how good you can be. So that's the way I look at it, Dean. So, you know, you, 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 when we talk about defensemen, I, I don't fuss about, you know, mm -hmm. modern day or old day. Like, can you skate? Can you make a play? Can you think? You, you know, can you, uh, can you, do you compete? Do you get pushed out of a game? Those are the things I'm looking for. I'm not looking for, uh, you know, like, listen, everything being equal, I want the bigger player over the sure. smaller player. That, that, that just makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, rarely is everything equal. Mm -hmm. But what is equal? Skill, requisite skills to perform at the NHL level. Whether you're six foot four or five foot seven or six foot one or five foot ten, you need those skills. Yep, indeed. All right, let's wrap up with Logan Stankoven of uh, Kamloops, a forward uh, in the Western Hockey League. He was very popular in the uh, UFHL scouting auction. He went for $525 US, the same price that Shane Wright went for. So it tells you the bidding war that was uh, created for this guy. He was also a high pick by the Kamloops Blazers. So what makes him special? You know, I, I, you know, there's opportunities always to mention great people in the game and people that have helped me grow in the game. And one of those people, and, and, and I didn't have a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one time with him, but 
but enough time that uh, you listened, you paid attention. Because growing up in Montreal, you knew who Claude Ruel was. Mm -hmm. Claude Ruel was Mr. Everything to the Montreal Canadiens. 1969 Stanley Cup winning coach, assistant coach with Scotty Bowman, but he did so much and scouting was a big part of his life. But Claude, I remember when I first was starting scouting and we'd be sitting there and he would sit down and talk. He knew my father very well. And he would say, Craig, you know, watch the guy that has the puck all the time. That's usually the good player. <laughs> and Logan Stankoven has the puck all the time. You know, there's only one puck out on the ice. You know, it would be interesting, Dean, if there was five or six pucks on the ice. You might not, you, you, you might get distracted, right? But when there's only one puck on the ice and one guy consistently has it when he's on the ice, mm -hmm. it, it, it makes you stand up and take notice, doesn't it? Or sit down and take notice, however you want to scout, right? And Logan has the puck lots. And, you know, you're looking at a scoring play, you go, oh, oh. Who made that? Oh, that was Logan that made that pass. Oh, who, oh, there he is. He's getting open again. He, 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 he's another player, again, a smaller player based on how, how he's measured, that, you know, you, you just look up. Uh, oh, there he is, the puck, making a play, understanding how to make plays, how understanding how to get open. And that may be a benefit for smaller players as you're growing up. You know, you got to be, you got to be cagey. You got to be cunning in terms of how you go, because you're not going to go take on the big players physically because it's not in your skill set. So how do you go and try to get an advantage on players? You, you, you're quicker in, in, in thinking. You're, you're quicker in, in anticipating. And Logan has terrific hands and he's a quick skater. He, and, and in fact, I think Logan is more quick than fast mm. in terms of if you're looking at speed. It's not that he lacks speed. But that quickness he has, he, like it, and, and I think it goes back to his mind and saying, that's where I got to be right now. And he gets there because he knew at a younger age, when you're smaller, if you don't get there, you, you, it's going to be harder to be able to take advantage. So I think he's honed that skill of, of being attuned. He's really alert out on the ice. You know, you watch some players and, you, and they don't take the puck cleanly or, oh, well, it's OK. I can go get it somewhere else. Logan, to me, is from the first time I watched him play, he's alert. He's a, he's attuned to what's happening out on the ice. He and when, when you're ready to to pounce and you're ready to take advantage and you see an opening, now he gets there. Why does he get there? Alert and exceptionally smart player. But he's like I said, he's he's quick. He's got a darting quality to his game. He's got terrific hands. The ability. I mean, and you know what, like. He's elusive, and, and I think as smaller players, you know, you're not going to be able to hold off uh, uh, the bigger players with, with just on raw strength. So you have to find ways to be elusive, twisting and turning and tight, you know, uh, when you're skating, delaying, changing speed, you know, keeping everybody off balance. It's, it's like Tom Glavin, the Hall of Fame pitcher. He didn't. He didn't have an overpowering fastball. He wasn't an overpower. He wasn't a big presence on the mound. But what he did was, is he beat you up with his mind. He kept you off balance. He threw curveballs, and then he would sneak the fastball by you. That's what Logan Stankoven does. You know what? Gives you a little bit of off speed. Then he whips the fastball, and you're not ready for it, right? And so mm -hmm. now you don't know what's coming next. And he's got this great, great ability to keep defenders and opponents off balance. I think it's a terrific quality. Uh, I think he's. I think he's a really, really good young player and a very good prospect.
Yeah, and there's lots of uh, kind of examples of those, you know, small, you know, you look at a, a Kucherov or a Patrick Kane where they kind of dart in and out, smaller guys that use that skill set. Uh, is there somebody that, you know, kind of when you look at him, you think of? Uh, yeah, there is. Like, he, he, he reminds me more of Jake Gensel than, okay, than yeah. anybody. Yeah, because Jake was was a really good offensive player when he was younger, but he but he wasn't the biggest guy. But he, he was another player that you're watching and go, oh yeah, there's another goal. Oh, there's another scoring chance. And now, once he got mature physically, he was able to take all those skills and all that great thinking and apply it at the NHL level with the best players. And again, you don't have like I can make an assessment on Jake Gensel, but it means nothing compared to Sidney Crosby making the assessment or Evgeny Malkin making the assessment, they're out on the ice playing with them. And I would imagine that Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin play rock, paper, scissors to see if they can have him yeah. as their left winger. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, just like yeah. Mike Medano wanted Yuri Lettinen as his, uh, as oh, his yeah, linemate in sure. Dallas, oh, right? Yeah. There's those guys that make everybody better. Yeah. Well, my, uh, everybody wanted Gary. Okay? Yeah, that's like, right. The defenseman wanted to play with Yeri because you know when I say no, when I play with him, they wanted him out on the ice because it didn't matter how hard you threw the puck around the mm-hmm. boards, the puck was coming out with Yeri, right? Yeah. It didn't matter if it was a if it was a two on one. Yeri was getting back to break it up and cover up for a defenseman. I mean, I mean he he was that type of a player, but that's why I say just just ask the players. Like I said, like I can make my assessments of uh, of Jake Gensel, and I I think he's a terrific player, but. Listen to Sydney and, and Evgeny, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, their commentary and, and, and their uh, uh, support of Jake Gensel as a top-end player. That speaks volumes. And that's those are two of the best players in the world. And, you know, Jake Gensel was never a, a top-five draft pick or anything like that, but it shows you that it takes all kinds of different players to make a complete lineup. You don't just throw number one picks out on a line and expect uh, instant chemistry. Everybody thought when Phil Kessel was going to go to Pittsburgh, it was going to be goal mania and stuff like that. But it shows the kind of ingredients you need as a, as a GM, whether you're in a, a real hockey league or in the uh, UFHL, you need those complementary pieces. Well, you do. The teams aren't made up of just one type of player. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't just have one type of player to have success. I, I, hockey is very similar to football in that regard. Like, you know, when, you know, we talk about skill. Well, it's great. Like, you need skill. And, and, but, but different positions and different requirements of a team uh, necessitate different skill sets. So, Great. If you, I, I, and you may have heard me use this before. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, great quarterbacks. If, if, if they need wide receivers, but they need mm-hmm. wide receivers to be wide receivers. If, if you don't have good offensive linemen, I don't care how good your wide receivers are, those quarterbacks are never going to have a chance to throw to those wide receivers. And conversely, if you have the greatest offensive line and your receivers can't catch the ball or they can't run, doesn't mm-hmm. matter either. So, you know, building a team requires an understanding of, of, of what the different areas of the game require and, and, and the players that fit those skill sets. And, you know, uh, I've, I've said this before and I'll continue, and, and I know it to be true. It is true. Playing with top end players is really hard. People think it's easy. It's hard. The reason it's hard is you have to think at their level and process the game at their level. 
Number two, they have expectations that when they are open and that they're able, that you're able to execute plays that can take advantage of their great skills, right? And number three, you have to have the same burning desire to make a, a, a difference every time on the ice because that's how they're wired. That's how they're thinking every time. So if you don't have those elements, as great as those top players are, and, and you might be able to play to a certain degree, you need to be able to maximize the top player's skills. And that's why when you hear the complimentary, uh, you hear the compliments from, player, from top end players on players they play with, ask, go and ask Sidney Crosby at any point in time about Pascal Dupuis and Chris Kunitz. Hmm. Just go ask him. Yep. I'll just leave it at that. That's all you need to hear. Indeed. Uh, great stuff as always, Craig. Uh, glad to be back on and as we now uh, into this second half of uh, what would have been a hockey season. It's the beginning of a hockey season and, and hopefully we get to talk about many more players for the 2021 draft playing hockey in the next little while. So thanks so much. Great job at the World Juniors as usual and we'll chat next week. We will. Thank you, Dean. This is a serious message. Craig Button joins us on the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports Hotline. Become a scout and make money while providing prospects to the Ultimate Franchise Hockey League. What'd you talk about, mister? Pay that man his money. I'm your huckleberry. Check out the details at www.uffsports.com. It's serious. I like it a lot. I said we gotta win it. UFFS, you own the game. Another terrific uh, conversation uh, with the director of scouting from TSN, Craig Button. And that will pretty much wrap things up for us. Uh, If you would like to send a question for Craig, especially when we uh, are looking at doing Craig's counsel uh, down the road, uh, where we tell some stories, he gives some scouting tips like he did today about being fluid and not uh, scouting statically, hit me up at Tracking the Draft at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a part of the show as a a partner or a sponsor, uh, you can reach me at that email as well. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please uh, subscribe. If you're watching, hit that uh, subscribe and that bell, and you'll get an episode every time a new one comes out. If you're listening and you want to watch, check out our YouTube channel. It's under Podcast Alley, and you can also check out podcastalley.ca. Uh, for this and other podcasts that I have on the go right now. Of course, our big thanks, though, to Mr. Craig Button, who did such a bang-up job at the uh, World Juniors. Uh, It was great to have a conversation with him today about that tournament and uh, moving forward. We will chat again uh, at our regularly uh, scheduled time of uh, Wednesday next week when we continue to track the stars of tomorrow that are discovered here. Thank you so much for joining me on the program. Big thanks to Craig Button. Thanks for you, the listener, the viewer, and we will chat next week. Have a good one.